the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this Monday edition. Beautiful day here in the Music City. Hope it is wherever you are as you watch across the Outkick Network live on YouTube and beyond. We hope you'll subscribe to the Outkick channel there and uh, say thank you to the great radio partner that's carrying our show currently. A big show planned. Bobby Carpenter, former Buckeye, will discuss two Buckeye quarterbacks where one says the other is a top five quarterback in the NFL. That's coming up in 20 minutes. Charlie Arnold from Outkick will join us in hour number two. And later in the show, Chris Marlowe is the play-by-play voice of the Denver Nuggets. He jumps on to discuss all things NBA Finals. Chad, good to be back. Hope things were great for you over the weekend. Uh, they were hot, uh, coaching some travel softball. But Hutton, it's good to have you back on the show on this Monday. Yeah. I'm ready to go. And uh, a I'm lot, as refreshed as I can be. A, a lot to discuss. Uh, and the NBA Finals somehow are tied 1-1. I continue to count out the Miami Heat. And what I fail to actually remember is they knock down the door if you give them a crack in the, the entryway, right? They did last night because the Nuggets, they just weren't ready like they were in game one. And Miami had an answer. They were more aggressive. It was the fastest three minutes that I think the NBA has ever played down the stretch of that fourth quarter where... Two really solid coaches decide to just play it out. No timeouts. Each team had two timeouts. Nuggets get the rebound. Final 12 seconds play out where Murray misses a three. And we're tied 1-1. And what is a very good series to this point where everyone is picking Denver and Miami, the underdog, continues to deliver. I still think the Nuggets win this series. But... Chad, the coaching job by Spolstra continues to show why he's one of the few that remain in a job for the long haul for an NBA organization. Yeah, and I, I look at both the coaches in this series. Eric Spolstra had the first new chess move to gain balance in this series and tie things up one game apiece. What does Michael Malone do next? I think it started in last night's postgame press conference where Michael Malone blistered his own team and said they didn't play hard in an NBA Finals game. And came right out and said, it's pathetic. This isn't a regular season game. This isn't a first-round playoff game. It's an NBA Finals game. And Michael Malone has the strength, the fortitude, and the courage to stand up there and call out his players. And we all know, NBA players rule the roost in yes. that league. And we are seeing two alpha coaches go head-to-head, and Eric Spolstra and Michael Malone, that aren't afraid about getting fired. They've got strong trust from their ownership and people who, they're, who are their bosses that they know they're going to do the job and do it the right way. And Eric Spolster comes back with, first off, he creates heat culture alongside Pat Riley, and they've won championships there, and they continue with that way, and they get a bunch of undrafted guys to play together, and he can do and say what he wants. He called out a reporter we'll get to momentarily. And then Michael Malone, he can come in and say, yeah, our guys didn't play hard. He gets asked a question about offense and how Jokic scored a lot but didn't have a lot of assists and what changed. And he says, you know what I'd like to address? The fact that our team didn't play hard in the NBA Finals and that we gave up 11 points in just over two minutes at one point in the game and how pathetic that is and how we're going to have to be a lot better. Kudos, Michael Malone and Eric Spolstra, for having the balls to step up in a press conference, say what you want, whenever you want, 
knowing that you're not going to be fired and you're not going to have some boss telling you what to do after the fact or some star player that's got such an ego that's going to come in and say, I want this guy fired for daring to question my effort. There's not one Heat player that's going to do that and have the power over Eric Spolstra. And Nikola Jokic is the best player on the planet. And guess what? He's not that guy. He's a good dude. He's a team player. No matter what Malone says, he's not going to come in and call for his job. Love both organizations. Love what they stand for. And Hutton, the more I watch both these coaches, I love both these guys and how they lead their teams. No doubt. It's a very old school approach. And, and they're old school in how they respond to the media and all the questions, too. Eric Spolstra yesterday. Here is Spolstra, head coach of the Heat, uh, taking one ESPN re- reporter to task for the untrained eye. Final question on the left. Hey, Coach. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN. Uh, this is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when, when teams play against Jokic, you, you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. You, he only had four assists tonight. Yeah, that, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, it's just that's the untrained eye that that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. You know, twice in two seasons he's been the best player on this planet. You can't just say, "Oh, make him a score." <laughs> that's not how they play. They they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. Uh, we have to focus on what we do. Um, you know, we try to do things the hard way, um, and he requires you to do many things the hard way. Um, and we, he has our full respect. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Coach. And, and he has the league's respect, too. But there's Spolstra saying, hey, you just can't let him score and expect that's how you're going to beat the Nuggets. But it, here, Shaquille O'Neal set this up pregame, I thought, perfectly. He said, hey, I, I would not double I would not double Jokic to start this game. I would let him score five or six buckets, get a quick 10 or 12 before I change my defensive strategy because he did not want others to get into a rhythm around him. And I felt like that's what Miami did uh, through that first half. There wasn't much of a rhythm despite a a game of runs by both franchises. Even at halftime, you felt like Miami had a great shot. They were down, what, six? Great shot of winning the game. And that... Game two was a, a matchup where Jokic had 41 points and Miami still won. Meanwhile, he's scoring 27 in game one and the Nuggets win that game easily. I do think there's something to not allowing others to benefit from the double teams that Jokic requires. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it was that bad of a question. I, 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 I'm totally fine with Spolstra, you know, saying that you have an untrained eye with the way the question was framed. Just on a stat sheet. But, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take an untrained eye. I mean, it, it, it does. It, a, an untrained eye could see that the Heat weren't sending as many bodies mm-hmm. that Jokic and trying to get him to get rid and, of the and ball. And they started love. Now, what Spolstra is saying is a, is a point well made in that you don't just make Nikola Jokic one thing or the other. He's always going to be all the things, right? He lets yes. the game present the opportunities. If he's going to get in a good spot where he can go and score, he's going to go and score. If guys are coming at him and he can pass it and they can set up an open three, he's going to do that. If he's got it rolling and double teams don't matter or swarming him and swarming the ball doesn't matter, he's still going to go score. So I get what Spolster's saying, and he's paying him a lot of respect, which I like, and Jokic deserves a lot of respect. So I didn't think the question was awful, but I understand the point that he's making. Here's the bottom line, and I, I thought you mentioned Shaquille O'Neal. Charles Barkley was interviewing Jokic after game one and he asked him, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a scorer. Shaq over here is a scorer. We would go into games thinking, I got to get this many shots up early in a big game. 
he took like four shots in the first half of game one. He said, how do you, you – you're a scorer too. How do you do that? And his answer was exactly what Eric Spolster was talking about. He said, I never think about how many shots I'm taking. I, I just play the game. That he's so good at knowing the game and understanding what's happening around him that he doesn't force anything. He's just playing the game that's in front of him wherever bodies are, wherever guys are around him, and not coming in thinking, I really got to get my shot going this game, or I need to take this many threes, or I need to get to the rim this many times and take this many shots or take this many mid-range shots. He's never thinking that way. That's the special type of player that Eric Spolstra is explaining to the untrained eye of Ramona Shelburne of ESPN in that clip that we just saw. I love the first response from the Heat in this series. I think that win guarantees us this thing's going at least six. I really do. I think we're going to get a really good series now between the two. So, game on. Game on. And, look, what this means, so just from the title perspective, right now you've got the Stanley Cup final that's going to game twos tonight in Las Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, with a 1-0 series lead over the Florida Panthers. Um, And you've got a, a tied series right now for the NBA title. The Denver Nuggets have waited 47 years to just make it to the NBA finals. And they had 3,787 regular season games prior to having the opportunity of playing in the NBA Finals. A lot of irrelevance, by the way, from that franchise. 29 playoff appearances throughout those 47 seasons without an NBA uh, NBA Finals appearance with a chance to win the title. Meanwhile, in the NHL, if you start a franchise from scratch, they will set you up to win. The Vegas Golden Knights have been a, in existence for six seasons. They're playing in their second NHL Stanley Cup final, and they have a 1-0 series lead over the Florida Panthers that if the NHL had the eighth seed, and they don't, they've got the, they've got the, the, the pods now for their postseason, Florida would have had the worst record uh, from their conference. Meanwhile, Vegas, due to the expansion draft, the unprotected veterans on a roster, uh, certain uh, certain access to players just for starting the franchise. The NHL wants to start a team off and have them hot fast. They want to put butts in seats. They want the bandwagon team to be the it team in the new city. Just ask Seattle or now Las Vegas. And you, I, I can't help but see the Knights fans in Vegas cheering on the Golden Knights in Vegas. Meanwhile, looking at the fans on TV in Denver and think, man, there is one title that will mean so much more to a fan base. And it's not happening out in Las Vegas. It's in Denver. I hope that that franchise gets a title just for the fans that have been been there for, for the long haul. And several of them have. You can see the quotes in the paper and different things about it. But this is more than just Jokic and Malone as the coach and they're winning a title and it's a young franchise. No, no, no. They have done more than just pay their dues. They have waited and waited and waited. And now they have a chance to kick down the door. That's why it's so interesting that Mike Malone is talking about effort and being ready to go in game two. It's because after game one, all the questions were about what's it going to be like to win a title. And the head coach had to say, they haven't, we haven't won a bleeping thing yet. And I think the team kind of came out and played that way. Well, think about those, those fans that can go back to <clears> – <throat> Excuse me, the ABA days. Oh, yeah. 
not just a, a ABA long, days, but yes. you know, if, you, if if someone says I was a season ticket holder when Alex English was lighting it up <laughs> for the Denver Nuggets, I mean, there are fans. I joke because it's not the most prominent of national fan bases. No, but there are plenty of fans in Colorado in the mountain region that are basketball fans that can go back many years with the Denver Nuggets and think about the futility of that futility mixed with mediocrity mixed with the occasional really good team that's just not quite good enough to even make an NBA Finals in their history until this year. It does feel kismet right now with this collection of Nuggets and these players that are playing together and a two-time MVP and a coach with this style and personality that it needs to happen this year. And I do think it is. It feels different for a Heat team and Eric Spolstra, who's won multiple titles at this point, no right, yeah. as an organization. So that part of me is definitely rooting on the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, and, and, and the fan base that's very deserving. Yes. 3,787 regular season games. It's a long wait that is, for yes. an NBA season. Uh, so Jamil Hill, she is out at Spotify. Um, the reasoning, she says, is they're cutting budgets and she's deciding to leave. There's a separation. She has, her show wasn't canceled. She has a podcast called Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Well, she's bothered, certainly, about certain things. Namely... It's an ironic title. Yeah, last year when she, she asked Spotify to step up and pay her or another African-American $100 million, similar to the, the money that was handed over to Joe Rogan by Spotify, as if it was based on race and not just results, a demand for the product. Uh, this is yet another headline with Hill involved that is just trying to pit one side against the other when it's a based on, to me, straight results. And if you're asking just globally who is worth $100 million for a podcast, the list is extremely small, and Joe Rogan's at the top of that. And that's why he demanded the money that he received. Yeah. Despite all the controversy from last year and all of the last three years with his stance on COVID and vaccines, and that, that twisted and turned people the wrong way, uh, people with voices like Jamel Hill. And meanwhile, you've got Rogan that continues to put out content that people want and that are driven to go listen to. Because he's authentic. He's himself. He's not letting someone else dictate what he's going to discuss. Yeah, I think Davey's the biggest dodgeball fan in the world, the movie, so much so that he doesn't want to see a sequel because the first is such a comedic classic, which is a good movie. But uh, there's a line from Jason Bateman in there, I think he says, bold strategy, Cotton, yeah. during one of the games. Uh, bold strategy, Jamel, to put on Twitter that you're daring your employer to pay uh, someone else of a Somebody. different race. Yeah. Anybody. Could, could, could be me. I'm sure she's probably saying that too. Go ahead. If you want to pay me $100 million, I'll take it. But pay anyone else that money that they're paying Joe Rogan. I'm curious about the case of Jamel Hill from this perspective. At what point did her culture war stop being profitable for her? Because Jamel Hill made her way through the ranks by playing the same note over and over and over again. And that is that everyone is racist. Everyone out there is racist. And this is the system that exists. And this is why the system is never going to get fixed. And I read a quote somewhere about, you know, the thing about progress, uh, progress is that it never stops. 
So even if you are a progressive and you're looking for progress, well, when you get some progress, it's never going to be enough, and the progression is never going to stop. Well, that's Jamel Hill. She has made a living about on playing on that side of the culture war. Yet others, they wage a culture war all the time and can be very profitable and get a lot of eyeballs or get a lot of people listening to it. But Jamel Hill has failed here at some point. She can't get anyone to watch one of her TV shows. She can't get anyone to read her books. Right. She can't get anyone to listen to her Spotify show, even though most people that's on any digital format would kill for the publicity that that Spotify gives to her show, right? She's on the front page every time I go to it. Of it, and yet that, those she's are not certain in the, initiatives through the through the through the company that. But that they've came about been doing to, that, and she wasn't in the top two hundred. Right, right. I mean, that's right. point being here, Hutton. The level of failure we've seen professionally but, from Jamel Hill stopped other other is shows too. Really difficult to accomplish with the backing that she's had. She has gotten paid. She has gotten great a great spot on SportsCenter at one point on ESPN. ESPN promoted her after that. She's had all these different opportunities, and the wheels have come off at some point. And I just find it interesting that that culture war that she's playing is now failing, but there are plenty of other people that play the culture war game, and they win big time. But no longer Jamel Hill, and this Spotify deal is another example. Also, it's a lesson in, you know, maybe don't dare your employer to, hey, pay someone else $100 million and essentially call your employer racist. For not doing so, yeah, but, which is one of the dumbest arguments I've heard. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't uh, get rid of her. They, this was 2022. Whenever she sent this tweet out, no, but I mean, we're 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 right here. At, that started it downhill. And yep. the moment you do that, he, here's how. Let me give you a little little insight into corporate America here. here. Here's how it operates, right? If they fire her immediately, they are confirming what Jamel Hill is saying. The take is going to be: I spoke up. I used my voice. They let me go, and they're racist. Uh, and they proved it me right. Everyone's racist. They're racist for firing me, right? But when she said that, the seed was planted. Well, that plant has now grown well, into but, her not being renewed But it, a year later. But she, uh, based on what she said, though, the fact that they're not handing out $100 million to a minority is racist. Yes. It's not the fact that she was employed. It's the right. fact that she's not, or someone else is not getting $100 million like Joe Rogan, which, by the way, they're spending over $200 million for Rogan. Yeah, no, absolutely. What she said was that. I'm saying when she said that and called her employer racist mm-hmm. by proxy, it was done. It was just waiting until her contract was up well, done or un- this split was going to happen. Unless she had the numbers to back up you know, the, the audience that she claims she brings yeah. with her, No, I think happen. What I'm saying is they wanted to fire her then. But they also knew that by firing her, they would almost be proving her point that she spoke up and now she gets fired for saying that, even though it was dumb for her to say it. And they knew this is not going to end well. And she has since tried to say that the Bloomberg report isn't true, specifically stating that it wasn't just her that she was referring to. She said somebody, which is accurate. It could have been anybody, but one person. And I'm I'm assuming that she was including herself there in that. Um, Also... Uh, she said that she hasn't left yet, but will be leaving, and that her show wasn't canceled. So cool, but the report's accurate. I mean, she's yeah. Out it, of look, it's it's semantics. Yes, they invested a lot in her, and paid her a lot in her for her show, and they marketed it and did everything they could. It didn't work out, 
We can label it whatever we want. Her contract's up and she's leaving. It's not canceled. It's canceled. They weren't going to continue it either way. Bottom line is, she failed again. But we're talking, we're talking about Jamel Hill for the first time regarding her podcast since she went to Spotify. Yeah, I forgot you, about it. Right? Like she's, this is how she gets her name mentioned. I feel like she did some... This. I listened to some stuff on the Ringer Network, and I feel like the last time I heard Jamel Hill's name was she was guest hosting a, a podcast looking back at The Wire with someone on the mm. Ringer Network as like a guest host spot. That was the last time I heard she was doing anything. And that would have been what, I've not listened COVID? to this podcast, didn't really know much about it until this story. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us and we'll have him weigh in on two former Buckeyes now playing in the NFL, where one says the other is a top five quarterback in the league. The third Buckeye joins us. Bobby Carpenter next on Hotline. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hunter Withrow, Hot Mike, across the Outkick Network. Chad, how's the chat? Chat's getting going. I have challenged the chat to get fired up on this Monday, and they're starting to answer the bell. You can uh, join us there on YouTube. Just search out Outkick, and we hope you'll subscribe to the channel. Bobby Carpenter joins us, college football analyst, Sirius XM, Channel 84 a contributor here on this show and uh, for Outkick. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. Oh, gentlemen, doing uh, doing fantastic. So couldn't complain. We had a great Memorial Day we uh, tournament. So the weather was good. When that's the case, man, it's always nice. Chad's been coaching as well during the uh, during the summer months. Seven, summer weekends. Uh, set my first travel ball experience, Bobby. Uh, coached, coached and pitched. Coach pitch eight U softball for seven games in two days. Uh, over the weekend, quite quite the experience. Yeah, those are the heroes out there, the parents that give up their weekends all spring, summer, fall, and even probably one or two with basketball and whatever being inside. So you give up all those nice days now with Rose. So I, I feel for you there. You're just entering this. You've got a nice like decade long slog in front of you. I am a hero, Bobby. Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> that. I've been waiting. I've been waiting my whole life for someone to call me a hero, and finally you did it. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you. 
Bobby, Justin Fields has been waiting for someone to call him a, a top five quarterback in the NFL, and C.J. Stroud has, has done that. Uh, C.J. released his, his top five, gave his opinion on his top five current quarterback ranking. It is list season, even for NFL players now, and the number two overall pick in Houston has Justin Fields in his top five. Is this just Buckeye uh, loving another Buckeye, or does Justin Fields have the talent, not necessarily the team around him, the talent to be in this stratosphere? I think he has the talent. I mean, most there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that have talent. A lot of it comes down to, like, system, maturity, um, talent around you. There's a lot of aspects that go into it. Justin, um, as he's one of the most gifted kids, I've young men I've seen play the quarterback position. He's very, very impressive. Uh, when you look at athletically what he can do, he's got an incredible arm. And he really works at it and understands and studies the game you know, in a pretty impressive way. The strides that he made over his two years at Ohio State were very, very impressive. And, you know, let's not also forget, I mean, this guy, you know, he, I don't really know if you want to call him a mentor or whatever, but I still look at guys who are, you know, a couple years older than me in college when we shared a room. You always have an immense amount of respect uh, for those people. And I think you saw what, uh, what Justin was able to do last season. And CJ probably saw, too, that, you know, hey, he had subpar wide receivers and he was out there going and competing and trying to help his team win games. Uh, despite the fact he was probably in a, about about as situation as you could get, I am I'm anti headline for mini camps that are coming up because I don't, I don't recall ever referencing anything across the NFL in the month of June personally. Uh, whenever training camp and regular season rolls around, it's beneficial for younger players. I understand it's more of an attendance uh, report for the media. They're doing that on behalf of the league for the voluntary OTAs, but the mandatory mini camps. Bobby, I'm curious from this angle, as, as, as a vet in a locker room on a roster, how often did you know just from this time of year, okay, this guy's legit, or, man, this is, this, we're going to need patience with, with the new kid who's just been drafted first or second round, supposed to come in and immediately help, and you just knew from the jump that wasn't going to be the case? Uh, it, you know, it depends on positions. First of all, like, so as far as receiver, defensive back, like you can get a lot out of this because you can't have pads on. And so those guys, you can see how they move. You can see how they catch the ball. You know, a defensive back, if his coverage is tight, if he plays the ball really well, you know how just explosive and athletic they are. You can see a little bit of that for some defensive linemen on the edge, but it's really tough, you know, and I guess linebackers as far as coverage with tight ends and running backs. But, you know, to understand the physicality of the game, how guys read and react, you know, offensive line, it's really hard because you can have guys that are great athletes and can move around and do some things, but then all of a sudden you put them in pads and in the game, and there might be a learning curve that has to happen. So you, know, you can get a lot of work done. Um, I don't know if you can know that an offensive lineman is going to be great at this point. Wide receivers and DBs, you can get a much surer feel. But, yeah, it is tough, gentlemen. Like, I, I don't ever want to make a definitive statement about anybody before you ever put pads on because that's such an essential piece to the game. And guys being able to interact in that, like that, that matters a lot. But you can tell if a guy's got a really good chance or if, you know what, there might be a little seasoning that needs to happen. It may take, you know, maybe a year before or even half a season before they, they really kind of catch on. So, Bobby, I, I want to get into a little bit of uh, a discussion on benefit of the doubt in college football between two men, two coaches, Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. And I want to start with a story involving Nick Saban. It's going to take just a little bit to set this up, but I, I want to get your take on all of this. On March 15th, Tony Mitchell, the guy who's going to start at safety for Alabama, was arrested in Holmes County, Florida with 226 grams of marijuana, 
a loaded gun, and more than $7,000 in cash. This came after a traffic stop in which Mitchell and his friend eluded police driving at speeds of more than 140 miles per hour. That was March 15th. On May 24th, Mitchell was placed on probation for three years after pleading no contest on a felony marijuana possession charge. Bobby, on June 5th, Tony Mitchell has been fully reinstated to the Alabama football team with no other punishment in time for summer workouts. And I am the first person I've seen ask a question about Nick Saban with that. How on earth that is okay. And how on earth that is okay with everything that's gone on in Alabama. And there's only one answer. Everybody just fully accepts whatever Nick Saban does and says. And they have no problem with it. Am I wrong? Well, you talk about the benefit of the doubt. The guy to this point, I think, is probably go down as the best college football coach of all time when he retires, especially doing it in the era that he's doing it in and you know all the different rules and how he's transitioned to how he builds a team, how he calls football games, just the style of play. He, he's been incredibly impressive with how he's been able to transition and do that. Now, Alabama, with that being said, they've had some issues over the years. Now, they haven't had, like, I don't think some crazy issues where they've got a team of hoodlums, but like a lot of coaches, you're going to have guys that make some bad decisions and do some stuff that, you know what, you're not going to be proud of during the daylight hours. I'm more concerned about eluding police than I am, you know, the, the marijuana possession. And every state has different laws on that now. And, and guys, you could make a joke about maybe having some sort of NIL or whatever the heck he's got going on that, you know what, maybe that gives him the ability to be a spokesperson. I don't know. Who knows how all this stuff goes now. But the, the more of the decision to me is, once you got in trouble with the decision to try to elude police, because that, that even those high-speed chases, we saw it happen in Georgia. You know, you've seen it happen now, um, obviously, with Ruggs, at, who played at Alabama, and then what happened with him in Vegas. Like, people can die. It is a serious, serious thing. When you're in that car, you feel like you're invincible, but, I mean, that thing's just as deadly as, you know, a firearm in your hand. So uh, is it surprise he's reinstated? I don't know. I mean, would people want to see him get suspended a game? Probably. I mean, I, I always tell people this. There's worse things in life than getting suspended for a game, especially in college football, when they start putting on punishments that involve you know, physical labor and, and whether you're getting up in the morning and workouts before and all these different things that are punitive. It probably did warrant some sort of game suspension or game action. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like in college football now, like nobody's watching over anything. So people can kind of do what they want unless there's like criminal activity to the point where, you know, you're going to, you're going to jail. Like, I don't know what exactly we want these college coaches to do anymore. Well, and this was right on the Hills chat of Saban saying he didn't believe in wrong place, wrong time. And, and, and yep. we were debating whether or not he was inferring what had happened with the basketball program. Cause this was March, right. As they're about to begin the tournament and he suspended and we discussed at the time, like, we'll see if this actually carries through to the fall, and it didn't even last to the summer, uh, based on the indefinite suspension for the defensive back. I just think it's, it's very, you need to be very careful if you're a coach and you make broad, sweeping statements. Yeah. Uh, Urban Myers, one we're going to see in a documentary when he was on TV, would make these broad, sweeping statements and then do the exact opposite when put in the same situation. I, I think Saban saying there's no such place at wrong, wrong place, wrong time, and then allowing a guy to come back for summer workouts. 
after having mountains of marijuana and a gun and eluding police at 140 miles per hour because he can start for them. And the gun was in the car, but it yeah, was a passenger's if, gun. If he's a scrub, he's missing game but time. But yes, yes. And Nick Saban can easily come back and say, you know, this kid is different in that he needs football in his life, and I, he needs to be out here with us, and we're going to help him by being here. But I think in the back of his mind, he's thinking, and he can help us on the field. And that's sure. a big part of this. The second part of this, though, Bobby, is Jimbo Fisher. And where Lane Kiffin now is just not holding back and saying, I'm going to continue to call BS on this guy when he tries to sit up there and tell you how players aren't being paid to come into his class. He said it's not a coincidence that NIL is legalized and then A&M in the first year has the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football and then half of that class leaves after one year. So I'm just going to call him out and say, of course they're getting paid a lot of money by NIL when he wants to sit there and badmouth Nick Saban. Jimbo Fisher on the other edge of this, Bobby, is someone I think that maybe doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, they're kind of two two different issues. I, I don't think Jimbo's probably getting the benefit of the doubt because everybody logically looked at it and you know could kind of infer what was going on. But also with it, guys, you don't get the benefit of the doubt because you haven't won. You know, when you win, people will justify your actions in a different way. And you know, we could talk about down years for Nick Saban, but a down year for Nick Saban has been, you know, 10 and 2 or 11 and 2, you know, and, and just barely missing the SEC championship game or maybe losing in it. You know, Jimbo Fisher, you're talking, you know, 5 and 7, 6 and 6. Like that's stuff that you can't have have happened. 8 and 4 has been a, a quality year for AM for the most part. So it's that that's it. Should it be fair? Is it right? No, but you judge people, I think, in college athletics or even in any sport by, you know, what type of coach are they and how much they can help you? I think that's what's probably going on with a little bit of Nick Saban. Yeah, like you said, the guy can't help you. You're probably getting him out the door. If he can, you try to rationalize it and justify, well, hey, you know, he needs football in his life. We can help him with this and those things. Then you, you flip over to, uh, you know, what's going on there at AM with Jimbo. And, you know, the fact that the guy's left, to me, says it all when we start talking about recruiting and how you want to recruit players. And we can talk about, you know, dollar value and this and that and how all those things matter because they do and they're very pertinent. But I don't want a guy that is coming to me for the last buck because that's the situation is all of a sudden when they get a chance to leave, like we want to be out of here and you can't build culture like that. So the fact that Lane's calling that out is it's pretty remarkable. I love that there's all these guys from the same saving tree now and they all, you know, are attacking each other. Some are attacking Nick and it's just, it, it's an interesting dynamic in the SEC because he has spawned so many coaches across that entire uh, entire entire conference that it feels so incestual now that at some point guys had to start kind of going after each other a little bit. It's like politics, and you've got to differentiate yourself, and this is a way for Lane Kiffin to make sure that he's relevant at Ole Miss and you know go after Jimbo a little. Bobby Carpenter with us. I think the target will turn to Deion Sanders sooner rather than later because I don't think he's going to – complain about the the NIL or complain about transfer portal he's going to use it and he's going to use it against the coaches that are out front pointing fingers right now within their own conference I don't know what conference Dion's going to be playing in next year but I, I do know that he's going to receive some of the the wrath of the the top names in the game because we're going to see top players that gravitate to him we've already seen that and I don't doubt for a minute that he's going to go to the biggest conferences and try to get some of the four stars, the five stars that are backups, get them to enter the portal and come play for him immediately. 
Well, I mean, what you're talking about there, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like it's uh, above board. I mean, I'd be against no. the rules and inducing players through the portal. I mean, come on now. Losing I, our minds. That, it, hey, yeah, exactly. I, that, that's – Dion's going to rub people the wrong way. At, at Jackson State, it was one thing. Um, and, and now, in the Power Five – Buckle up, especially well, if they go to the Big 12. Look at Pat Narduzzi. He's taken multiple opportunities to take shots at yeah. Deion Sanders and saying this is not how the transfer portal is supposed to be used. And he was talking about how he ran his whole team off that may have wanted to be there and completely flip over his roster. But, uh, Bobby, what surprised me is I don't think Dion said anything about Pat Narduzzi since then. He's not really firing back at coaches that have a problem with it. He's just kind of going about and doing his thing right now. I don't think Dion probably wants to get into a shouting match with coaches. He probably honestly thinks it's a little bit beneath him with some of those guys. <laughs> and, you know, you look at those, you throw those images up there. Well, let's just hope that he wears that cowboy hat Maybe. for all 12 games of the season. I hope so. I mean, he's branded himself. He's like the black bum Phillips out there now looking sweet. <laughs> like, God bless him. It is a good uh, look. It is. It's classic. And it fits. I mean, he, he has set himself apart uh, with everything. And I believe they had – 55 or 57 players enter the transfer portal. Yes. They had 45, I think, that are coming in. Here's my thing with Dion on that. I'm curious if that maintains. Is that something that they do in year one? All right. They told him to basically do this. He told them what he was going to do. Everybody signed off on it. We're going to make you good, and we're going to do it as quickly as possible. If he does this in year two and three, then A, it means it's it's really not working, and B, I have real concerns about the quality of play they're going to be on the field because I don't know if you can have this type of roster turnover and really win games and recruit just out of the transfer portal. At some point, you're going to have to recruit kids, bring them in, and develop them, and we'll see if he can do that. He was able to do it at Jackson State. Like I, he, I think he can, and I don't think he wants to live in the portal, but right here, like everybody gets mad about it. I don't think it's the right way to do it, but everybody knew that was what he was going to do. Hell, he's the only coach I've ever heard that has any type of autonomy when it comes to what goes on in your school with what conference you're going to be in. Every other coach, when you hear when these the, the moves have happened the last handful of years, coaches always say, I'm the last to know. And I, I truly believe that. And they have a coach in Colorado who has no ties to the school, no real ties to the state, has not coached a football game there yet. And they, they're talking about, we'll go to the Big 12 if Dion signs off on it and he approves. Like, that is an immense amount of power that not even Nick Saban, I don't think, wields. Well, and you mentioned whenever they actually play a game, prime time is going to be in a prime window for college football. Fox will air the first two games uh, on national TV against TCU and then the home opener against Nebraska. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how he handles things if it's boat race city on both of those matchups. Listen, if Colorado wins six games this year, Deion Sanders did a hell of a job. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were if in the they run. win four games, he's done a hell of a yeah. job. I mean, their over-under is three. The Pac-12 is pretty good this year. Their non-conference schedule, you start throwing out TCU, you start throwing out Nebraska, like Nebraska's going to be better. TCU is just coming off a national championship game, for heaven's sake. And so if he's able to get the five or six wins, like that puts him in the running for coach of the year for me. I, I don't know if they can quite get there, but if they're even competitive, they, they were one of the worst teams in college football last year. And that is without regard for what class they were in. I mean, in the F, F or FBS, they were worse. Like group of five, power five didn't matter. And so if he's able to do that, I think he'll, his recruiting will take off even more because I think the expectations were so low from last year.
Bobby Carpenter, always big expectations when he joins us. He delivers yet again. Bobby, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Have a great week. I appreciate it, John. You guys have a good one. Me too. Bobby. At BCARP3 is where you can find Bobby on social. Coming up, uh, we alluded to the shooting in Tuscaloosa from back in January, January 15th. There was a report from the New York Times citing a source that told them, and they backed it, that Kai Spears, a walk-on at Alabama, was present for the, the homicide, for the murder of a 23-year-old mother of a, of, of a five-year-old. Well, the New York Times has issued a retraction. We'll comb through that and we'll compare it to what the demands were of Stephen P. New, the representative for Kai Spears. That's next on Hot Mike. Coming up, Charlie Arnott will join us in about 30 minutes or so from the Outkick Network, which is available on YouTube. You can just search us out there. Chat's getting going, Hutton. Subscribe to the channel. The Good. chat is getting going. Um, Allie in the chat says, one thing guaranteed, first person who dares to ask Saban about this will be painted a fool <laughs> by Saban and by every Alabama fan for daring to ask that question about him being back for summer workouts. Amazing. Well, I mean, they're in Tuscaloosa. They're insulated, really. You know, they're good oh, media yeah. members there. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's not like there was a lot of reporting coming out of Tuscaloosa mm -hmm. back of January 15th involving Brandon Miller that, that had the same stance that you or I did or the vast majority of the public and one, in regards to just playing, just continuing to play. And one piece of the outside media that came in to investigate it screwed something well, up. That's right. And, and it has to do with Kai Spears, who was the freshman walk-on at the University of Alabama um, for, for the basketball team and was, according to the New York Times, which they have retracted, they've issued a retraction, uh, they have uh, said that the reporting was not accurate, that he was not in the vehicle driven by Brandon Miller when he returned to the scene that brought the weapon that was used in the murder of Jamia Harris, the 23-year-old uh, single mother of a five-year-old. At the, uh, on the on the Alabama Strip in Tuscaloosa, uh, January fifteenth, Darius Miles has he's I believe he's pleading or has pleaded not guilty. Meanwhile, Michael Harris, who I believe is the shooter, is pointing to a, a juvenile status or something um, in in regards to whatever he pled to. So it's a, a fascinating story, but from the angle of the New York Times, keep in mind. We had, I believe this was, was it the SEC tournament or was this the first round of the NCAA tournament? We had... I think it was SEC tournament. Okay. We had confirmation from the locker room that the New York Times reporter was going in seeking comment from Kai Spears. Yep. Because the editor at the Times was backing the reporting at the time that cited Kai Spears as in the vehicle. Turns out... Um, it's a team manager that's admitted to being in the vehicle or being present at the scene. Cooper Lee is his name, which the Times is citing now as the, the other person connected with the University of Alabama, not Kai Spears. And Chad, I know you, you hit on this Friday, and we earlier in the, the, the spring we had Stephen P. New, the lawyer who's representing Kai Spears in this case, that said unequivocally, was not there can point to reasons why he wasn't there based on location. And 
I guess he was informed or was told to advise to simply say nothing to the reporter in the locker room at the time. Well, it was fascinating in the beginning because both sides were so dug in. Right when that story dropped, immediately Kai Spears' attorney had a statement out that said this is completely false, didn't happen. The Bama and the then immediately, athletic department said that. Plus, his fa- isn't his father the AD at, at Marshall, I think? Yes, yes. So, and then the New York Times came back and said, we firmly stand behind right. our reporting on the story. And I'm thinking, okay, well, here we go. We got a battle. Someone's lying here. I thought initially when Spears was so adamant about not being there, and he had the attorney, I'm thinking, he's probably not there. They probably got this wrong. And yeah. it turns out that's the case because today – the New York Times printed a retraction and said it's our policy to come out and state when we have basically messed up a story and gotten something false or wrong, and that's what happened here. They quoted a New York Times rep, a New York Times voice in the story from the New York Times. So that's part of what Stephen P. knew, the attorney for Kai Spears, was requesting. The retraction, the apology, that's happened. What's coming next? Some money. And part of that money, which I think is very cool, is Kai Spears is going to give a lot of it to an education fund for the victim's young child. Five-year-old child of the victim is going to receive college money based on this settlement coming from the New York Times. And they're going to pay. Now that they've issued this retraction, I don't know that it's the full $75,000, probably will be, but it's going to be some amount of money they're getting. Yep, and and they said that, I mean, it's stated in the report that he was in the car when the bullets hit the windshield of Brandon Miller. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And they're, they're admitting that now here in June for a report that was written back in March that stirred everything up yet again for the Crimson Tide and for the Fake Spears newsletter. family. No doubt. No doubt. Coming up, teams that are playing 10 or more Power 5 conference games and the conference that's not wins a lot of titles. We'll discuss and compare next. Next. 